ask you, how many of you as kids, whenever Christmas came around, did, did many of y'all go to, did you just stay at home or did you, how many of y'all went to your grandparents' house? I, that, that's exactly what I did. And I started getting excited about Christmas pretty early. Uh, I started getting excited about Christmas around Thanksgiving time. Now today, when do you, when do you think most people start getting excited about Christmas? Yeah, July. I mean, I, I mean, my gosh. I mean, you sit there and you look at it, and it's uh, they start putting out, you know, Christmas decorations at Walmart. I think like in April. But I got excited about Christmas when I get went to my grandmother's house, in particular in Fort Worth, Texas, for a very particular reason. Now I don't know about you. I'm sure that you were purer, more pure. Is that right? More pure than I was. I got excited about Christmas for a very uh, maybe commercial reason. Now, now for you as a child, what made you most excited about Christmas? What was it? It was the celebration of the birth of Jesus, right? I mean, we're in church, y'all. That's what you're supposed to say. Absolutely. I mean, Christmas to me as a kid was all about, I hate to say this, but what am I going to get? That's what it was all about. Now today, Christmas for me is all about what am I going to get for my wife because I want it to be special for her. But I just thought Christmas, I knew it was going to be a successful Christmas because my grandmother did, and I'm not lying, she did all of her Christmas shopping in like June and July. And so when Thanksgiving rolled around, all of the gifts were wrapped and she would have them in uh, in the guest room closet. And so my sister and I, Thanksgiving, we would go in there and we would start, you know, kind of going through all the gifts because there was a whole bunch of grandkids and I would say it was just like a stack full of Christmas gifts. And so my sister and I, we would pull them out. We're going through them. We're shaking the boxes. Which one is my name on? And this is how I determined if Christmas was going to be good or not. It was going to be a good Christmas if I had more gifts than my sister. Now, if it was not going to be that great of a Christmas, I would not have as many gifts as my sister. Now, hopefully, if you were the same way, I hope that eventually that you, that you grew out of that. As a matter of fact, today, Christmas to me is a success if I'm not in debt. I saw an article the other day that said the average parent spends on each child, each child, $422 every Christmas. So kids, when you get your gifts, try to figure out about 422 bucks because if it's not, your parents are falling way behind. And so that is, you know, that's, that's just sort of where we are with Christmas. I mean, we think, man, Christmas is about giving gifts. But because of that, I, I think what's so easy to happen is that we end, and we say this every year, and you know, I'm telling you, one of the most difficult things to do for me is to talk about Christmas every year because we all we know the story and we know the typical stuff. It is so easy every year to miss out on the true meaning of Christmas, right? I mean, have we heard that our entire lives? Don't want to forget and miss out on the true meaning of Christmas. Easy to do. I, I remember it was a story. I read the Wright Brothers biography, and in the biography, in December of 1903, the Wright Brothers had finally flown their, they called it their flying machine for the first time. They flew it 120 feet. They sent a telegram 
to their sister back home in uh, Ohio. She got the telegram. It said, we flew our plane 120 feet. We'll be home for Christmas. Now, she was excited, ecstatic. She knew what the brothers had been trying to do. So she immediately went to the editor of their, of their paper in their town. I believe it was Dayton. And she gave the telegram to the editor. He read it. And he said, oh, isn't that neat? They'll be home for Christmas. I mean, totally missed out on the fact that they had flown the very first airplane. Now, here's how that relates. I think we do the exact same thing when it comes to Christmas. We miss out on the message of Christmas. And so today, uh, we are continuing on going through our series of Advent. And as I shared with you all a couple of weeks ago, Advent is, is more of a a newer celebration for me. Um, I've heard of it before, but I never really knew what its purpose was. And I shared before that Advent simply means an expectation, an expectation of arrival. And so as we go through this Advent season, what's happening in the Bible is people were expecting the arrival of the Son of God. And it came. And so you might say, well, what does, what does the Advent season, what does Christmas have to do with me today? How does it have important meaning in my life today? And so that's what we're going to look at today. And so if you have your Bible, we're going to look in a very you know, familiar passage of Scripture. It's Luke chapter 2, and it's verse number 8. Now, typically, when you, whenever you think of the Christmas story, you think of... Joseph and Mary, you think of the wise men, you think of King Herod, you know, that's the bad guy, and then you also think of another group of men that we're going to be looking at today. You know who it is? It's the shepherds. We're going to be talking about the shepherds. Now, shepherds, as you have probably guessed by their name, their job was to take care of sheep. That was their job. Now, on the, uh, as far as their status level, where that was, if you told somebody that you were a shepherd, it's not, you know, not really the highest kind of job that you could have. And so what is interesting is that the shepherds received the birth announcement about Jesus. Did you know that they were the very first people after Joseph and Mary to find out about the birth of a Savior? And that is a really big deal. Because you would think that the birth of a Savior, if if the Savior is coming to our world, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who would you expect to get that information first? You know, whenever it's Christmas time, I mean, who do you think uh, is going to get like a Christmas card from the Queen of England other than Bubba Lothian? I mean, who's going to get that? It's going to be other, it's going to be other world leaders, but it'd be like you sitting at your house, and all of a sudden you get a birth, or not a birth announcement, that would be weird if it came from Queen Elizabeth, but if you got a card from Queen Elizabeth for Christmas, and it came to your house, you'd be like, what is going on with this? So you might say, well, what's so significant about this? Well, there's some important things that Christmas means to us, and one of the things that Christmas means to you and to me is it means peace. One of the things that Jesus was called was the Prince of peace. And whenever he came here, whenever he entered into this world, he entered into this world because this world is a dark place. This world is a place that is broken and messed up, and we all know it. We can live in denial if we want to, but it is a place that is dark. 
Jesus came. And he came and he changed all of that. And he brought us hope. He brought us joy. And then today we're looking and we're going to see that he brings us peace. Now, how did it bring us peace whenever Jesus was born? Well, look with me in in verse number 8. It says, in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now, this message was given as an angel. So if you think you think about this, the, the shepherds were outside in the verses I just read. Our text tells us that the shepherds were keeping watch over their flock at night. Now, for a shepherd to keep watch, what that means is they were protecting their sheep because there's a lot of predators for sheep. And I, I've shared with you all many times before, I mean, I just think sheep are such interesting animals. Uh, they are animals that constantly need care. Sheep do not just naturally take care of themselves. They have to have somebody that's going to shear their wool off. They have bad eyesight. Uh, they, don't, they really don't protect themselves from predators. You know, they, you, you never, you never, I've said this before, you never hear of sheep attacks. I mean, you don't ever see a sheep out there with these huge horns, you know, just ready to, ready to duke it out with like a wolf. It does not happen. They are four-legged uh, snack sticks. Okay, that's all they are. And so what they need is they need a shepherd in order to protect them. And so this scene, a scene of shepherds in the field in Israel during this time, that was normal. Absolutely normal. To this day, whenever we go to Israel, you look out in the countryside, you, you know what, and this is kind of neat, you know what you see? You'll see shepherds. Uh, one of my favorite stories is we were, we were driving through the wilderness area of Israel, and we see this guy, there's sheep out there, there's a guy, I can't remember if it was a donkey or a camel, he's riding it along, and he's on a cell phone. It's so bizarre. Okay, so that's a little bit different, that's not what was happening in Jesus' day, but they still, it was normal, it was normal to look out and to see shepherds with sheep. And so as they are watching out for the animals, they are doing it in the town where Jesus was born, the town of Bethlehem. Now, this is a little side note, I like because I think this is really significant and it's interesting. So there's shepherds in Bethlehem watching the sheep. Did you know that the sheep, that the, the temple courts had shepherds watch sheep in Bethlehem because they would use those sheep in order to be sacrificed at the temple. And so if you look in, I think it's John 1 29, Jesus is called the Lamb of God. And the Lamb of God came here in order to be sacrificed for man. And so I just think it's interesting that the first people to receive the message were shepherds who were keeping sheep that were going to be sacrificed at the temple. And so all of a sudden, while they're watching the sheep, there's an angel that appears a bunch of angels, and they tell, they tell the shepherds, they have good news, but they tell the shepherds, don't be afraid. Now, why do they say that? Well, that had to be an unusual sight. Now, I think sometimes we think when you look in the Bible, there's just angels popping up everywhere, and so that's just the norm of the day. It was not the norm of the day. So then why, why did they come to the shepherds? Why did they come to them first of all people? Because religiously, 
they were considered unclean. They were constantly with animals. Now, on this very day, these shepherds would not have been allowed to enter into the temple because they were unclean. And yet, a great message came to them anyway. Uh, Let let me give you a general view of shepherds in Jesus' day. That The Mishnah, which is Judaism's written record of the, uh, the oral law, spoke of shepherds in these terms. It said, uh, one passage in the Mishnah describes shepherds as incompetent. Uh, another passage says, says that one should never feel obligated to rescue a shepherd who's fallen into a pit. Dr. Joachim Jeremiah documents the fact that shepherds were deprived of all civil rights. They could not in, enter into a court. They would not be considered uh, solid witnesses. And he wrote to buy wool, milk, or a kid from a shepherd was forbidden in the assumption that it was stolen property. So they don't have a good reputation. And yet God found it fitting to send the very first birth announcement, not just to a group of guys, which is strange, but he sent it to a group of shepherds. Why? Here's what I believe. Part of the reason why is because it shows us the grace of God. That even in your brokenness, even as messed up as you and I are, God reaches out to us and he wants us to see good news. He wants us to know that grace is for us. Grace is simply receiving what we don't deserve. It is getting something out of the mess of our lives and turning it into something beautiful. I read a story about a guy named Sir Edward Landseer. He's a famous painter in the Victorian era. And uh, he was a guy, when he was 13 years old, displayed his art at the Royal Academy. Uh, He helped teach Queen Victoria and Prince Albert how to paint. So this is a very, very significant guy. But he was visiting a friend of his who had a servant who accidentally spilled some water on their, on their wall and had stained their wall. When the, when the family went out, Lancier ended up painting. He was known for landscapes. He took that stain and painted it and used it as a part of a landscape. And the family said what had been an eyesore for so, many, for so long, after he painted it, all of a sudden it became the very thing that we bragged about the most in our home. A mess had been taken and turned into something beautiful. Guys, that is Christmas. The mess of our lives is turned into something beautiful because of God's grace. So, so how, does, how does Christmas today bring us peace? Well, it should bring us peace because it shows us God's grace. Christmas also can bring us peace because of this. You know what Christmas is for? It's for all people. It's for everybody. And I want you to look with me in verses, let's see, verses 10 and 11. It says, But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, a Savior, who is Messiah the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. Now, why was this message that the angel was bringing to a group of shepherds, what made it? Such good news. You know, why was it the kind of news that would bring great joy? And the answer is really simple. In verse number 11, it says, A Savior was born for you in the city of David. 
Somebody came to save you. You might say, well, why does anybody need to save me? Well, it doesn't take long to figure out in the Bible. It's like the, one of the very first stories in the Bible. You go back to Adam and Eve, and after Adam and Eve, we need a Savior. They, they were disobedient to God. And because they were disobedient to God, that meant that there was sin that stood in between man and God. So we are no longer, we are no longer reconciled. We are split apart. And so there had to be a sacrifice that would come and pay our debt of sin in order to bring reconciliation to us. And so that's who Jesus is. Remember Bethlehem, the place of lambs that would be sacrificed at the temple for the sins of people? Then here comes Jesus. And Jesus came to be a sacrifice in order to reconcile man to God. And he is a perfect sacrifice. And his birth was foretold 700 years before he was born. Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. It tells us, for a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He'll be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And the dominion will be vast, and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. People needed a Savior. Now what they were trying to do is they were trying to make themselves right with God by performing well for God. But guys, we can't do it. Because if we're going to try to live according to God's law, God says, if you're going to do that, and that's how you're going to justify yourself for me, then you have to live perfectly. Well, nobody's pulled that off yet. So what happened is the people were tired. They were worn out. They were beaten down. They needed somebody to rescue them. And then the angel shows up, and he says, I got good news for you. Someone has come for you. Your Savior has finally showed up, and he came to Bethlehem. And here's where the message gets even better. Who is the message for? Well, the end of verse number 10 tells us. It says, it is for all people. The message of a Savior is not, it's not just for Jewish people. It's not just for good people. The Bible says that it's for all people. That's why John 3.16 is so important to us. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever, whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So that's why the angel came and he told the shepherds, don't be afraid. You don't have to be afraid of the message of God. Now, I'm sure when the angels saw them, it, it threw them off their game a little bit. They were a little bit fearful, but he said, no, this is good news. Guys, let me tell you something. As we are living in this world at this time, we don't, we don't have to be fearful. Now, I know, I know that's easier said than done. My, my typical response to things is worst-case scenario guy. You know, you walk into the church, and people, you know, we're shaking hands, and I'll see somebody sneeze. And then I'm thinking, I wonder how long it's going to be until I have pneumonia. You know, that's just sort of, that's just sort of the way that it works. So it's easy for me to be kind of a worst-case scenario guy. But, but I look into Scripture and I see, but the Messiah came for you and for me. And because of that, we can live in freedom and without fear. So then how does that affect me today? 
Well, because of this, the one who can reconcile us to God, he has already come. The one who can pay off our debt of sin, he came. And he came on the very first Christmas, and he came for all people. So the question is this, do you follow him? Do you follow him, or do you just, or do you just hear the story every year? Do, do you follow him, or do you just kind of go through the motions as we celebrate Christmas every year? And, you know, we come in, we sing some Christmas carols, and, and then after we do all of that, then we just sort of fall back in to regular life. You see, there is a recipe that has been given to us in Scripture about how to engage and come into a relationship with God. And yet sometimes what we do is we take the peripheral things and we follow those and forget about the heart matters. And then we wonder why we feel empty, why we are dominated by fear in life. Um, I was reading in a, a story in Reader's Digest. I, w- I was looking for a story I could share, and I came across this one, and I thought, man, there's got to be a sermon in here somewhere. I just thought it was interesting. Uh, there was a cookbook that was released in 1977 called Woman's Day Crockery Cuisine. It was on the market for six months, and they had to yank it off of the market. The reason why, because of the recipe that was given. Uh, in the recipe, it called, it was, it was making custard, but it called for cooking a can of condensed milk in a crock pot for four hours. But it didn't say that you were to open up the condensed milk and pour it in. Now, you would think that would be, you know, common sense, but apparently there was a, a lady who followed the recipe. And so she took a can of condensed milk and stuck it in her crock pot, and it blew up, almost killed her. Because okay, so they said, well, we better go ahead and take that recipe right out of the book. Now, guys, you can follow the recipe. You can acknowledge some things, but if you start messing around and you ignore some parts of the recipe, you're going to find yourself in trouble. Let me tell you something. When Jesus came here, he didn't come here just so that we'd sing Christmas carols about him. There's another part of that recipe that we are to follow, and that is that we are to entrust our lives to him because we recognize we need a Savior. And when we do that, let me tell you what you're going to have. You're going to have peace. So how does Christmas bring peace to us today? Well, it's God's grace. Other, other thing it brings to us or why it brings peace to us is because it's for all people. And then here's the last thing. It brings peace because the birth of Jesus, it was a promise that was kept. God gave a promise that he would send his son. Now I want you to look with me in the last couple of verses, starting in verse 12. It says, this will be, it's the angel, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. Now, everyone knows that whenever it comes to promises, that they're not always kept. Uh, You know, last month we went through a midterm election, and so whenever I think of promises, a lot of times I think of promises that politicians make. I'm not saying every politician's evil. I'm not saying that. But I do know know this, because we all make promises. But if you're a politician, your promises are recorded on television, and that can be dangerous. And so what happens is sometimes politicians make some crazy kinds of promises. And I want to share with you uh, a few of the incredible promises that have been given by politicians, and some of them are in recent years. Uh, John Edwards, 
Uh, he's the guy that ran for president a few years ago. He promised, he, he actually has a promise that was on tape, to cure disease, sickness, and paraplegics. That's a, that's a big promise. Uh, Dan Quayle promised the future will get better tomorrow. I thought was interesting. Uh, Herbert Hoover promised a chicken in every pot as the country was going through the Great Depression. Newt Gingrich promised there would be a, a moon. He said, if I'm elected, there will be a moon colony by 2020. Man, we missed out on that one, didn't we? Um, and then uh, Teddy Roosevelt earlier in the 20th century promised not to run for president again if he was elected. And guess what he did? He ran, he ran for president again. Now, my tendency is that whenever people make promises, I just don't, just in general, like, yeah, I'm just not going to act, I'm just not going to believe that. And if that way, if it happens, it's icing on the cake, but if they don't keep the promises, then I'm not let down as much. Now, I think sometimes what happens is we look at the promises that God gives in Scripture, and we do the same thing. Because we look at people all around us, and they give promises, and they're like, yeah, that's not going to happen, it's not going to come true. But on this night, there was a promise given. A Savior has been born for you. Now, what's the proof? So if you're the skeptic, you're the skeptic shepherd, what's the proof? Angel has proof. He says, here's how you know it happened. He was born in Bethlehem. Okay, they were right outside of Bethlehem. They could go there. He was born in Bethlehem. He said, you're going to find a baby there, wrapped in clothes, wrapped in cloths. You might think, well, that's not much of a promise. I mean, aren't most babies, wouldn't you think most of them are going to be wrapped in cloths? He's going to be in a manger. Okay, now now here's how this promise could be verified. One, they were close to Bethlehem. They could go there. Two, the population of Bethlehem. Bethlehem was not some humongous city. It was a city of anywhere from 100 to maybe 300 people. So there wouldn't have been a ton of babies that would have been there. Not only that. He was wrapped in cloths, but where he was located would have been unusual as well. He was located, but you know, we're used to away in a manger. He's in a manger. You know what a manger is? It's a feeding trough. Uh, most people don't put their babies in a feeding trough. So they're like, hey, if you want to find the baby, when you find one that's in a feeding trough, that's the one. Because I guarantee you he was going to be the only one. So what do they do? They go out and they look for him, and it is verified. Now, how would they find him in a feeding trough? Well, you know the story just like I do. Whenever Mary and Joseph first went to Bethlehem, they were looking for a place to stay, but there was no room for them, y'all remember, in the inn. Now, a lot of times we think of a hotel. Now, some some commentaries said that, that the word inn that's used there, that it, that it means like a basement area. Now, in this day, Families who had farm animals, oftentimes during the evening, they would bring them inside into this basement area. So it would not have been unusual in this basement area for there to have been feeding troughs for the animals. It was a promise that was given that could be verified. And that good news was passed on to the shepherds. It is passed on to us today. Why is it so important? Because it is the story, the beginning of the story, where we begin to experience healing from our brokenness because of who Jesus is. See, when Jesus came, he came to put us in right relationship with God. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, 
the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. After being put to death in the fleshly realm, but made alive in the spiritual realm. What is Christmas? It is a message of peace. Jesus came to bring peace between you and me and God. And I think one of the great things to discover is that message of peace is for all of us. And whenever we understand the story of Jesus, we ought to walk away from it not with fear, but with hope and with peace. Heavenly Father, I am grateful for the story of the birth of Jesus and, Lord, what it means. And here's what I believe. I believe today that there are many of us who need to experience peace. And so, Jesus, today I pray that for those who feel uncertain in their lives, who feel like that they are that they are unmoored, they are unanchored, and they are being battered by the winds and the waves of life. God, I pray that today they will grab onto you as the anchor for their soul. And for some of them, it might mean just simply taking time right now to just simply call out to you in prayer and say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Jesus, save me. Thank you for coming.